Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the RevOps Podcast. I'm Alistair Warcock, joined by Howard Brown, founder and CEO of Revenue.io and all things revenue science. And today we have a special guest with us as well, Sean Lane, VP of Field Operations at Drift. Sean, great to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Happy to be here. Absolutely. You know, Sean, a lot of us, you know, us included at Revenue.io, you know, we're, we're staring at the current market conditions. Um, you know, there's, you know, there was the roar, the springtime of we're coming out of the pandemic and life's going back to in person again, and we're all excited and life is good. But the reality is it's a pretty scary time for a lot of companies. There's a lot of economic pressures. And when those pressures kick in, it's a bit like the pandemic again, where a lot of people go, look, minimize some expenses. And one of the expenses that tends to happen don't go traveling a bunch, right? I mean, that's, that's common. <laughs> and so we're continuing to see the rise and rise of virtual events, virtual engagement, all of those things overall. And um, you know, we already knew going into this condition, you know, Seth Mars from Forrester will tell you that 89% of all sales interaction happens through digital, right? So email, voice, video, something like that. What are you seeing? What's happening in your neck of the woods with with virtual uh, engagement? How are you dealing that from an operations perspective? What's what's your advice to people? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, I mean, first and foremost, at, at Drift, we've forever kind of thought about how do we best beat our customers where they're at, right? And whether that's in person, virtually, or through so, some sort of hybrid combination of the two, we're trying to both for ourselves and for our customers figure out what the right balance is there. And so, you know, for us, for events, for example, one of the things that we've done is think about what what type of experience can we create for folks who might be dialing in for a remote event or showing up for something that might be a hybrid. And so we've done a couple different things. So whether it's for our own events or for our customers who are using Drift, um, they might have some sort of chat engagement that's happening side by side with the event itself. Or we might do something where if you have folks that you're trying to get to register for the event, we'll do a combination of a unique experience for them when they arrive on the website, when you're going to potentially just register for that event. Um, or it might be something where you have an ABM style campaign that we're sending physical cards to people that will help drive them to the registration or to the event itself um, through QR code or whatever you might want to do there, right? But what's great about it is for each one of those examples, you can create a more kind of customized, tailored experience for those folks. So instead of just saying, you know, hey, come join us for this event. It's, hey, Alistair, hey, Howard, we, you know, we would love to see what type of value revenue.io could get out of event ABC. And it becomes this much more custom and, and tailored experience. I think that's one example uh, of how we're trying to meet people a little bit more where they are. I, I think great examples on that. And, and Howard, when you think of engagement, we think of virtual engagement overall. You know, I, I think showing you some really tangible examples there. Um, but you spent a career figuring out how to best engage people across all these different mediums. What, what's shifted in your mind in the last few months uh, with what's going on in the markets these days? Well, look, I love what Sean was saying, really meeting people where they're at. And, and that's really what's essential in today's world with, we have a lot of choices, right? I mean, we have, 
endless amounts of information products and services and the companies that will differentiate themselves from the others are those who truly do meet their customers where they're at, understand the needs and what a customer or prospect truly values. And I, I love hearing Sean's examples of asking them what's important to them because nothing like actually talking to someone and finding out what they value. We talk a lot about empathy and emotional intelligence, but if you're not asking questions and you're not asking very open-ended questions, then chances are you're not really being empathic. You're projecting what you think that person wants as opposed to what they feel they need. And I think it's really important to align. And so uh, I, I want to hear more from Sean about meeting customers where they're at. Quite frankly, I didn't know that Drift was doing event stuff. So I'd love to hear more about that. And and, and, and how you're aligning to your customers' needs today. I think the other thing too, Howard, is even, not even just the event example itself, but to your point, what is that customer's preference of communication, right? And so, you know, we rely very heavily on video, for example, right? And so you'll see, you know, if you're gonna try to do some sort of outbound prospecting, including a unique video that is tailored to that prospect is a great way to help cut through that noise, right? Mm -hmm. And so we'll do things like showing them what drift might look like on their website or showing them an example of a friction point that we found in their buying journey that we think we could help them to address. But ultimately it's about finding which of those mediums the prospect that you're trying to get in touch with is going to respond to the best. Mm -hmm. And that goes beyond just you know brand new customers that extends to existing customers. I have plenty of vendors that I use where I would much rather they send me a video to update me on something than put another 30 minutes on my calendar. And so I think as we think through the different ways to engage with folks, whether it's in person or virtually or hybrid, having videos is just one of the ways that uh, we found to be really, really successful. You know, it's really interesting. There is a consumer app called Marco Polo. I don't know if you're familiar mm. with this app, but the whole idea is it's, it's not, it, you could basically record a conversation or a video of yourself. And then the person responds when they're ready to respond. There are people, including some of my friends that I went to college with, we just never seem to be able to figure out how to talk on the phone or Zooms, but we're using this app and I feel really connected to them mm. and they feel connected to me. And yet we're sort of getting back to each other whenever we can, because we're all super busy. So it's not that I don't want to hear what they have to say, or they don't want to hear what I have to say. It's just too hard to align with our calendars. So what you're talking about is the idea that, again, meeting people where they're at, like video is great. And this particular app, Marco Polo, allows me to connect with my friends, which I probably wouldn't do otherwise. So it, it's really, the technologies are amazing. And it really is about connecting people and, and finding that medium so that we can bring each other together, right? So I, I, I love it. And you have those same expectations when you go to work, right? Like you, when you're talking to your friends on your phone, you're not, you know, B2C Howard in that moment. And then all of a sudden you come to work and now you're B2B Howard and everything about what you expect from technology changes. You have the same, same expectations. And so one of the things that we've tried to do is kind of 
reduce the differences mm-hmm. uh, in terms of how people interact with the companies that they like to interact with between B2B and B2C. And so, you know, when you watch my drift video, like you watch your Marco Polo video, there is an option to chat, or I might send a notification to the rep who created that video to say, Hey, Howard's watching your video right now. He's at this high moment of intent. Now's the time to engage with him. Mm -hmm. And so we can take advantage of that moment where we actually do have your attention because it's so rare and so precious. Yes. And that's the way we try to think about those interactions. Yeah, it's great. And and again, there's so much noise out there that trying to find out how to cut through it and, and deliver that value and connect with people because the, the, the consumerization of enterprise technology, right, is so critical. If we don't build things that are useful, are easy to understand and deliver value within 15 seconds, people probably aren't going to use it. That's a, we, we have very little patience for technology today. So when you think about the challenge that, that most B2B sellers, or I guess sellers in general face, people don't want to engage, right? In general, until they're ready. So how is Drift solving that today for sales teams? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of ways. So, so first and foremost, to your point about just time, we want to take advantage of that moment of highest intent, right? We want to capture that moment because it's fleeting. Right. So when we think about that, we think about it in a few different ways. There's both, a, I would say, an outbound and an inbound version of, of those interactions. So I think inbound is pretty straightforward. Right. You have specific accounts that you might be paying attention to when they arrive at the site. And so that could be either the bot is there to, to interact with them or it might be a more kind of high touch white glove style, style of account where, you know, we have certain ways where If you are the A account, right, the cream of the crop account, when you arrive at the site, we're going to notify the rep who works on that account, the SDR who works on that account. Hey, Howard is here right now. This is your moment and opportunity to potentially engage with him. And so I think that's one way in terms of kind of greasing the wheels for sales folks. You know, sales folks are going to find that path of least resistance. And so in my opinion, if you're a rep and you close one deal because that notification came to you, you're never giving that thing up ever again, right? Like that, that that's going to be your path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. So I think that's how we think about it for inbound. And then for outbound, it's a similar type motion, but we want to be able to create a customized experience. So one example might be, if I am trying to put together a series of touches or emails or things that are going to be customized for that particular prospect, the other thing we want to think about is what happens when they click on a link in the email or watch the video that I shared? What happens next? And so we've started to think about ways that we can actually customize what do they see when they click on it? It's instead of coming to you know, the typical drift.com, they come to the revenue.io landing page for drift, right? And so you can think about ways you can customize that experience as well. And so we really try to optimize for both those inbound and outbound experiences because companies need both. What has surprised you the most in with your technology and, and the sort of interactions that are happening? I, I'm just curious, what, what, what surprises you? So I, I think what's really interesting is the, you know, as I'm sure you guys experience all the time, the change management that is required for any new tool that you have, right? 
Um, the thing that I always come back to and like, it, it does surprise you, but then once you get past, you're like, okay, this makes sense is the value of those really early adopters and those early advocates. Right. And so one of the things that we've done both internally and not just with drift, but you know, any tool that we adopt or any piece of change uh, technology that we add into our stack is we try really hard to make sure that we have a handful of pilot users or advocates that we can get to uh, give us that early feedback. Because what you're doing at that point is you're building these advocates for that tool or for that new process that you're doing. And you know a sales team is way more likely to listen to their peers than they are to me. And so if you can turn a couple of those folks into your advocates to talk about that new thing, that new process, that new tool, whatever it may be, then all of a sudden you're going to get a lot better adoption and a lot better value for the folks on your team you're trying to enable. So I think Howard, it's, it's, it's more of this, like the value of those advocates and that just continues to prove to be true over and over and over again. I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and your field operations. Can you tell me a little bit about field operations in this, <laughs> in this time of COVID and, and post COVID? What does field operations yeah. mean? The, you know, you can search LinkedIn and find titles for, for anything, right? Rev ops, field ops, sales ops, you name it, it's out there today. So um, for us at Drift, Field ops is a fancy way of saying sales ops and customer ops combined. Mm. And so what my team does is look after both those pre-sale and post-sale parts of the customer journey. And, you know, we found that you know, just like people who have talked about RevOps having a, a lot of benefits for having that consolidated or, or centralized resource, you know, we found it's really helpful to drive alignment between our pre-sale and post-sale teams, um, whether that's making the customer journey better or thinking about how we, you know, design comp or design the behaviors that we want to incentivize. But the other thing that's nice for me and for our ops team is we can flex a little bit on the resources that we have within ops to partner with all of our different internal stakeholders that work in the field, right? And so from that perspective, you, a good example might be your account managers or your renewals folks, right? So if you have these folks that work post-sale, like there's both a sales and a CS component to those roles. And so while I have somebody on my team whose title is sales ops, she can flex on both the growth and expansion and retention side of things mm -hmm. and partner with the internal stakeholders that we need. So those are some of the things we found to be helpful um, by having this, this combined field ops structure. Well, you certainly won't get a complaint from uh, either Alistair or I. We, whether you call it field ops or rev ops, you have a customer and that customer is having an experience with your brand. And the more visibility that whoever on your team has into what that customer needs, what they're doing and, and what they want, the better. And so I, I, more organizations that are performing, even in this time of growth, right? You have to take your teams and you have to align them and you have to put that customer smack dab in the middle all your operations should be focused on how to best deliver for them. So uh, I'm glad to hear you folks are doing it at Drift, whether it's called field or RevOps or whatever. <laughs> I, I will say, I do think it's a fascinating setup, though, you're dealing with the, the pre and the post, right? Uh, largely, Sean, in that setup. And I think for a lot of co companies, that in itself 
I don't think they draw the connection there, quite honestly. I think they draw the connection between pre and then maybe sales. Um, sometimes sales um, into the, the marketing a little bit, but the post-sale tied back into the buyer journey and everything else, I would suggest that's that's not as common as a lot of people think. Um, you know, why would why are you saying that? Like I have, I have my opinions from my Gartner days and all of those things of, of why that is. But you know, why do you think it's so hard for people to connect the idea that the buying journey doesn't stop in uh, once the sale happens, which is essentially what I think you're getting to there, right? It's a continuous journey, but how are you connecting the dots back once it happens? Yeah, I mean, usually the most basic root cause of that problem is just who you report to. Right. And so you end up with a sales ops team that reports to a CRO. And if you, first of all, not many companies even have a customer ops team, but if you do, then they might report to a chief customer officer or a VP of CS. And so just through sheer reporting structure and organizational design alone, that's usually where those silos start to pop up. I would say, Alistair, Um, what, what we try to do is regardless of whether you have this type of structure that we have at Drift or you have a RevOps or you have a completely siloed team, the thing we try to think about is what are the ripple effects of this decision that we're going to make in marketing on sales? What are the ripple effects of this decision we're about to make in sales on the customer team? And I think that the difference between a you know good operator and a great one are the ones who can look around corners, anticipate what those ripple effects are going to be and pause and say, okay, I know this thing I'm about to do is going to break. It probably isn't going to impact me, my job, the internal partner that I have, but I'm going to do something about it anyways. And I think those are the folks that we want to have on our team. Uh, and that's hopefully where you know a lot of operators are going to be able to think through that entire journey. And you know, Howard mentioned that you, know, you want to put the customer at the smack dab of the center of everything you do when you're designing that customer journey. I would add that you know, you're talking a lot about those external customers, but everyone we're talking about in sales and onboarding and customer success, like those are my internal customers. My job is to make them better at their job. And so I have to consider what the experience is going to be like for them when, you know, a salesperson closes a deal and we haven't properly captured what the use case for that customer is going to be. The only person that's going to suffer is going to be the onboarder who has to now go and implement that thing and the customer themselves. And so we try to avoid those situations as much as possible. Yeah. And I think, you know, I always remember kind of trying to bucket these things of if you think of the three big ones, right? So pre, then we're selling and then post, right? So uh, one area, you know, we're trying to educate. And I think everybody understands you're trying to educate outbound. But as you're educating outbound, you need to be coordinated as much internally. Well, what are we educating about? If we do get somebody that that is being educated and now we're going to sell to them, the seller is all about, well, how do I help them make sense of that education? What is it that we're doing with it and and how's that evolving? And then after that is, okay, now I got to connect the people up to the platform and the products in the right way that makes sense of what they were sold and off we do, off we go. And I think you're hitting such a big point here that largely people understand how to drive that outbound. But if internal stakeholders aren't lined up to the same conversation, to the same assets in the same way and execute, you have a really poor post uh, experience. And that directly is going to correlate to churn. 
And nobody wants churn in an economic environment like this, right? So there's a real world impact to, to understanding this and using the analytics behind that and the technical project management to bring it all together. And I think if your operations team is positioned well within your organization, they're going to have a really unique and hopefully objective perspective on exactly that type of problem, right? They should be the ones that are coming to the table to say, hey, I think that this decision we're making in sales is actually going to hurt us when it comes to churn or retention or whatever, you know, those kind of later ripple effect metrics that you're talking about might be. And so I think, again, if an operations team can sit at the center of that and say, okay, my unique vantage point is that I can see the beginning of this process and the end of this process and everything in between, which is a hard charter, by the way, it's not an easy thing to do, but if you have that perspective, then you can actually be the ones who are rooting out those friction points or where handoffs might fall through the cracks or, you know, any inefficiencies you might find in your customer journey. Hey, I'm, I'm really interested in diving into the expectations that we have on our operations team. I, I know that we're out of time, Alistair, um, but maybe next week we could jump in with Sean and really look into that. You heard it there. So that is the classic cane being pulled across the curtain for us. Oscar Bell close out. <laughs> so Sean, thank you so much for joining us here today. This has been a great conversation. We definitely want to pick this up on the next podcast. So stay with us. Howard, Sean, thanks as always. For those listening in, please do remember to like and subscribe. And also, don't forget our new dial-in number with your questions. You can reach us at 323-540-4777. That's 323-540-4777. And we will see you on the next episode of the RevOps Podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys.